Good morning. Um, yeah, it's good to, it's a privilege to be sharing with you all, even in, even though this, I admit this sharing feels a little different for me, so, but it's, it's good to be with you all. Um, this morning, I, yeah, just have the privilege of sharing about, uh, yeah, just about the scripture from Palm Sunday. Uh, when I, th I think about this time, you know, I think about the Jewish idea of worship, you know, for the Jewish people, worship was definitely resolved or definitely revolved around a place, you know, for them, J worship was very, very located at the temple. And so during a festival, they would travel, either they lived in Jerusalem or they would travel to Jerusalem. So worship kind of had like a traveling emphasis and they would travel to the city. And specifically for a, a really important festival like Passover, you know, the city would swell, would just be filled with people. Um, this, in Jesus's day, Jerusalem was a city of 50,000 people. But when a, a feast like Passover came, it would swell to twice that size. Some, some people, some historians think that it may have even been, instead of there being 50,000 people, there might've been 120,000 people. And that doesn't even, that doesn't even count all the animals that would have been there because obviously an important part of Jewish worship would have been sacrifice. So there would have been people everywhere and there would have been animals everywhere and the city would have been like stretched to its very limit. But in a good way, because you know, a festival was a time of celebration. It was a time to remember. And you know, specifically with Passover, they were remembering how God had acted in the past, how God had saved their people from slavery. And so, specifically with the, with the story we're looking at today, you know, it was six days before the Passover, and in some ways, you know, the party seems to have already started. So there was a, the city of Bethany was two miles away from Jerusalem, it's just two miles outside the city. And in that city, the party, it seemed, had already started. And, you know, that seems normal, you know, when friends from out of town come, because, again, the Passover would bring Jewish people from all over the world. They would come to Jerusalem. And so when friends come into town, it's obvious that you would have a party. But the party in Bethany was different. You know, specifically the party at Lazarus's house was a different party because they were celebrating the fact that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. So in John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus is one of my favorite stories. It starts with Lazarus's sisters, Martha and Mary, sending a message to Jesus and saying Lazarus is sick because obviously they knew that Jesus was a healer and Jesus had healed many sick people. But Jesus doesn't really rush to Lazarus's bedside. And by the time, Lazar or by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has died. And in that story from John 11, you know, Jesus interacts with both Martha and Mary, and they both say the same thing. And every time I hear it, I, I can't decide, is it an accusation or is it just that they were stating a fact? But both of them say, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And yeah, they knew that Jesus could heal the sick, but to them, their, their dead brother was now beyond saving. Um, in Luke's gospel, you know, we have two stories of Jesus raising the dead. 
but both those stories are specifically, or they have one specific difference between them and the Lazarus story. And the Lazarus, in those two stories, neither person was ever buried. But when Jesus arrives at Lazarus's tomb, he's been in the tomb for four days. There is so much certainty that there is nothing Jesus can do. You know, when Jesus actually asks Martha, let's roll away the stone, her response is, Jesus, that, that's a bad idea. You know, the body is going to stink. But I think word of what happened once they rolled away the tomb must have traveled really fast. You know, we don't really know how many days passed between what happened at Lazarus's tomb and when Jesus entered the city. But it's clear that the overflowing city, the city that was so full because Passover was on the horizon, it was also overflowing with excitement because people wanted to see Jesus. John 11, 55 and 56 tell us that during the ceremonial cleansing before Passover, people kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? So there was this excitement, you know, was Jesus going to show up? You know, Passover was a feast where the Jewish people celebrated God's rescue and where they remembered that God had raised up Moses to lead their people out of slavery. But there was also this expectation that God was going to raise up another uh, rescuer, someone who was greater than Moses, who was going to lead them, who was going to rescue them again. So, you know, Jesus had been teaching and preaching for a couple of years. He had been declaring the kingdom of God, not only by with what he said, but by also his deeds as the, you know, the blind were able to see, the lame were able to walk, the demon possessed were free. And now someone who was in the tomb for four days has been raised from the dead. So when Jesus starts walking towards Jerusalem, when Jesus starts heading towards Bethany, the crowds begin to gather. So our reading is going to be from, for today is from John 12, 12 to 19. Okay, I think that's me. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so I'm going to... Yeah, let me pray just for the rest of, yeah, just for the rest of my sharing. Lord, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Thank you for being with me uh, this week as I've prepared. And I just ask that the words that are from you 
Those would be the things that people remember and the words that are from me, those would be forgotten. Lord, we, we need to hear from you. Please open our ears and our hearts so that we can hear from you. Amen. So this is one of the stories that the church reads every year. And at the center of this story is worship and praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the question is, is like, why do we return to this story every year? Do, do we return to the story just because we need to read it before we get to Easter? We just need to remember that Jesus came in, or is there something larger going on? And as I've kind of studied this passage for the last couple of weeks, I think this story is central and is important because central, because worship is central to our life of faith. You know, our, our culture has not seen a pandemic like COVID-19 for 100 years. In the midst of this, you know, we long for support. We long to be comforted. We long for community. And the church offers us these things. But they are not the central reason why we gather together today. You know, the, the church exists because God has transformed our lives. And we gather together, gather together to celebrate the work that God has done in each of us. You know, worship is at the center of what we do today. And so the question becomes, you know, what does it look like to praise? What does it look like to worship in this situation today? So the first thing I want to look at is in verse 18 of today's passage. John writes, many people, because they had heard that Jesus had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. This is simple but central. You know, worship is a response. You know, the miracle at Bethany galvanized the crowd. Jesus raised someone from the dead, and as a result, people responded. And they, were, they came together when Jesus was entering the city. And, you know, that's the, re the primary reason we gather to get together today. Jesus has done something in our lives, and as a response, you know, we are worshiping people. But... We have to recognize that the present moment isn't really a time of celebration. You know, how do we how do we worship in the midst of COVID-19? And I've been thinking a little bit about it. And, you know, the Psalms are my favorite book of scripture. And repeatedly, the authors of the Psalms call us to be people who remember. So in Psalm 103, 2, it says, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. You know, our worship is fueled by, by remembering the good ways that God has acted in the past. You know, we need to remember the ways that God has acted in the scriptures. Jesus was a healer. Jesus healed people. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, in the last hundred years, modern medicine has transformed our experience of life. Uh, I think we are more confident in our medical system than maybe any people or any culture in history. And, you know, thank God for these advances. Thank God for the ways that God has advanced medical science, but none of them can stop death. And in this time of pandemic, I think it's important to remember that Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. So the fact that Jesus's power is greater than sickness and death, that doesn't mean that we're gonna be immune from sickness, 
It doesn't mean we're going to be healed if we get sick, but it just reminds us that we have a hope. You know, we have hope in Jesus Christ. And so while it's important to remember the scriptures, the story of God working in scripture, it's also really important that we remember, we remember the ways that God has acted in our own stories. You know, just like the crowds, God did something and people responded. And just like those crowds, God's done something in our lives. And, you know, but I have to admit, if you're anything like me, you have a tendency to think of the past as something that happened a long time ago. Or it, it can be easy for me to feel like the past becomes distant very quickly. I have a tendency to see the past as something that just feels less real because it's less immediate. But that's not really true. Um, you know, remembering our own experience of God's provision is vital to worship because our God is so personal. You know, his love for us is not theoretical. His love for us is not mythical. And his love for us definitely is not something that's just written on a page. Um, his love for us is something that really happened in our lives. It's something that really happened in our past. And, you know, I, you might also object to this focus on remembering this focus on the past because you might feel it's less authentic than the present. Maybe you think this is just an attempt to kind of ignore the present or kind of forget the hard things that are going on. But I think that remembering our past is never an attempt to erase the present, erase the present, especially when the present is hard. Uh, instead, I, my encouragement is that we need to hold the past and the present together, like in attention, the good and the, the hard together, and that we mix our praise and our lament together as we worship. It would be hypocritical to sing praises only during this time when so many people are hurting. Um, but I think if we forget to praise, it has a possibility that we begin to forget our hope. And we who believe in Jesus are never without hope. So the second thing I want to look at is from verse 17. It says, here John writes that those who were at the tomb when Lazarus came back from the dead continued to spread the word. You know, they continued to tell people what Jesus had done on that day. And so when Jesus enters Jerusalem, I feel like it was more than just the people who were at the tomb when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead that were at that moment you know that crowd had grown from the few people who were at the funeral to in some ways it feels like i don't know if it was the whole city but it feels like the whole city was a buzz and why was the city a buzz because people who had witnessed what god had done had shared that with others and obviously if we're going to be witnesses you know we we always want to remember that we need to be witnesses to the world that doesn't follow jesus but this morning i feel more compelled to focus on the opportunity we have to be witnesses to one another, especially during this time when, you know, hope can feel a little squeezed. We need to be people who share our stories with each other. We need to be sharing our stories of God's grace and mercy, whether they be small stories or whether they be big stories. You know, it can be easy to fall into a trap of thinking that God's small acts of grace are too insignificant to be a public witness, 
But I think this fails to remember, this fails to recognize that the Spirit of God is at work in both the big and the small things of life. And, you know, as I prepared, I, I went on to the, the Oak Church YouTube video and just kind of saw some of the, the things that people were sharing. And um, I, I want to bring up Laurel's video again. And I know Chris did last week, but it was just such a great opportunity of just being a witness of the ways that God had worked in her family. And it was just a, story, a very everyday story, and it was encouraging to me. But what I, what I found most interesting about it was how her decision to share was in response to the fact that Betty Jean had shared a story with her. So Betty Jean shared a story with Laurel about how God had been, you know, preparing her and helping her mom prepare for this time of isolation. And, you know, as a result of Betty Jean sharing, Laurel kind of looked at her own life and was able to see the ways that God was preparing her family. And then she shared with us and you just never really know how someone else's, how your story is going to encourage someone else. You never know how your story might cause someone, you might cause his or her, you might, I might cause them to see their own story in a new way. You know, so we need to be asking ourselves, how has God been sustaining me in this isolating season? And as we begin to recognize the things that God is doing, we need to be ready to share those stories with other people. And so with that in mind, I asked Jessica Farmer to share a story just as an encouragement to us today. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Jessica Farmer. This is my husband, Justin. Um, we started attending Oak Church July of last year, and we recently moved to Durham and Justin started school at Duke. Um, so that was kind of a, what propelled us here. Um, and today, my story that I want to share starts with a failed, seemingly failed interview. Um, I've been in a job for quite some time that was emotionally draining and just unhealthy for me. And I had been, you know, very openly um, crying and pleading and maybe even begging um, the Lord just for a new job, um, asking for help to, to move forward to a different space that would be healthier for me and that I could, you know, grow my career, that I could be more fruitful. And I came across an academic advisor position at the same college that I've been working at. And I remember saying to Justin, I, I know this is it. The Lord is, you know, I can tell the Lord is working. Um, this is purposeful. I'm going to get this role. And well, it turned out that I did not get um, that position at all. Um, even though the interview had gone so well, um, we laughed, we connected, my hopes were so high. Um, and then, you know, a week or two later, come to find out that they had just went with another candidate. And um, I was so disappointed um, and I felt so hopeless and devastated, which seems a little uh, dramatic at this point. Um, but I did feel a lot of doubt and hopelessness and I was questioning the Lord. Um, a lot of questions in my mind were, can you see me? Do you hear me? 
Um, you know, do you understand how, how I'm feeling right now, how hard this is for me and are you helping me? And um, kind of mixed with a little, some feelings of Lord, help me to still have faith right now and realize that this is still the middle. It's, it's not the end. Um, and kind of in that milieu of emotions, I got a phone call from a, another director at the university and she left me a message saying, I got your, your contact information from my supervisor. She recently interviewed you for a position um, that they didn't hire you for. And I'm looking for a candidate, but don't really have the, the energy or the fortitude to go through an interview process. And with such a high recommendation, I'd love to just chat with you for a little and see if you're interested in this position. And, uh, I really had nothing to lose. And at that point, it didn't matter to me uh, what job I was doing. I just wanted to move out of where I was. So I, I gratefully went and she offered me that position in our meeting. Um, she said, as far as she was concerned, I have the position. She felt like I was already interviewed by her supervisor. Um, and so I thought about it for a day or so and then accepted. And um, I remember in that moment um, having a little bit of shame and, you know, kind of getting angry with the Lord so quickly in the middle of a process that was being worked out um, and also remembering, you know, wow, what seemed like an end, what seemed like a terminal, um, you know, you're not getting this role. It really was only part of the process to the Lord. It was the step to maybe the role that he had planned all along. Um, or maybe it was, a, a you know, plan two because plan one didn't work out, but still um, I was so aware that the Lord did hear me, did see me and was working on the path even when I couldn't see it or was having trouble to trust it. Um, and so I, I was so grateful for that role. I have made dear friends in that role. It was also laden with difficulty. Um, and became difficult to decisions the leadership had made. But um, fast forward three years later, and we find out that Justin had gotten accepted into the divinity program at Duke, and we were trying to figure out how to relocate from Florida to. North Carolina and certainly knew that one of us would need to be working full-time in order to do that. And I found myself in a similar position asking the Lord for help with a need um, and trying to remain more faithful in this season, remembering that um, God is working even when I can't see it. And surely there is a plan for us to move and that the Lord is with us. And I I came across a posting at Duke University um, that was a posting for a testing center manager. They had just um, made the decision to launch a new testing center. And this was identical to the role that I was currently in, um, that I had been working in for the past three years. And I knew in that instant that I would um, get this job, not for any sort of accolades or, you know, glory to myself or how great I am, but I could just clearly see that this was something that the Lord had already considered um, years ago and made um, a path for me to become qualified for this role. And 
um, I had so much confidence that it was what the Lord was doing. And so I did apply, I did interview and, um, I, I did get, I was offered the position and accepted. And it's what made a way for Justin and I to, um, come to North Carolina, move to Durham, um, you know, come to Oak church. Um, so many great blessings for us, but I often, remember that chain of events that were weeks, months, um, years apart. And I remember the feeling and knowing that the Lord does see me and does hear me. Um, but not only does he hear the, the needs that I'm screaming at the top of my lungs or shouting or are so present to me in the present that I see right in front of my face, but he sees the needs that I don't even see yet and makes a way for those in the present. Um, he's already thinking about the future. And that has, um, it brought new light to the scripture um, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, like even in that moment, Christ knew the depth of our need before we saw it and made the greatest sacrifice in order to make a way for us to find healing when we recognized our need. And um, it is a small kind of everyday life example, but it did highlight that for me. And um, I remember the story oftentimes to kind of dredge up hope um, and faith in the Lord when I can't see um, what God's hands are doing at the moment, but to trust his heart um, and what he has done best. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for sharing. So just to finish, you know, we talked about how, um, yeah, it's important to remember and how worship is a response and it's important to be witnesses of the things that God has done. But I want to finish with a warning and the, I want to finish with the question, do we really know who Jesus is? You know, these crowds that went out to worship him, they really think they know what Jesus is here to do. They think they understand his purposes. They think they understand his mission and they are excited about it. You know, they're, they're, they're celebrating with him. But the question is, is, you know, the reality is, is that the crowds and Jesus aren't really on the same page. You know, they're shouting Hosanna, which means save, you know, what are they hoping to be saved from? You know, they're waving palm branches, which had a very specific meaning at this time. You know, palm branches were a sign of Jewish nationalism. And, you know, when previous rebellions, when they had printed, when they had mint, when they had printed coins, they had pressed palm branches onto the coins. And so the idea of waving palm branches was, to, was a sign that they really wanted Jesus to come in and be the king who would free them from Roman rule. But the reality is, is that Jesus has a very different mission. And they are praising the Jesus they think he should be rather than the Jesus he is. You know, and so, if it, you know, he came uh, to serve. And, you know, it, we must remember that Jesus is the highly exalted one precisely because in humility, he obediently embraced death. So as Christians, you know, our worship, we are a worshiping people. And worship is more than praise. It, it also, worship also means that we live like the one we worship. 
you know, uh, we are his followers. And are we prepared to surrender our lives in the service of others? So as we finish, like, what does it look like for us in this season of worship to become like Jesus? And in many ways, uh, we don't have to think very hard. Currently, our regular routines, I think, our regular, our regular routines are living examples of acts of service. You know, we are all surrendering a bunch of our personal freedom for the betterment of others. It's a drag, but social distancing is, can be a Christ-like act. Yeah, I, I begin to realize that more and more as, as, you know, as, East, as Easter gets closer, I just realize how different this Easter is going to be. And I'm, I'm, I'm bummed. I'm bummed not to be with you all. I'm bummed not to be celebrating uh, together. Um, but, you know, as we grieve the loss of certain things, I think during this time of sheltering in place, I think we have the opportunity to think of these, think of our, our surrendering of personal freedom as a way that we can be like Jesus. Chris said last week that I think maybe if we can embrace this moment rather than passively accept it, who knows how God might use it. But we have to be guarded in this act of Christ-likeness. As Amy and Chris both mentioned, you know, this self-isolation is also a form of fasting. And fasting, God uses fasting in powerful ways, but it's not always fun. Fasting tends to bring to the surface the places where we still need to be healed. Maybe, maybe you've been a little quick to anger during this time. Or maybe like me, you've been struggling with a lack of control. I've noticed that I kind of have a desire to control life at home a little bit more than normal. Maybe this time of isolation has brought up a longing to hoard or to be self-protective. Maybe the isolation has led you into some old vices. Or maybe you're just feeling the loss of work, you know, because in work you find a lot of identity. Whatever it is, whatever this fast has ushered up to the surface of your soul, um, do not be dismayed because I have good news. While shelter in place is not over, the, the Lenten season is over. We know again where we need God to work in our lives. Fasting, one of the great things about fasting, while it's not always fun, it, it, sh it can show us where we need to be healed, where God needs, still, still needs to work. And Jesus entered Jerusalem for that purpose. Bring, we need to bring those places to him so that he can heal us. And we don't need to be shy about it because Jesus loves people who fall short. You know, he entered Jerusalem for this very purpose, and Good Friday is on the horizon. First Peter says, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. Jesus bore our sins and bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You know, Jesus entered the city. He, the crowds were praise, celebrating and praising God, but he entered the city for, with a purpose. And his death is key to our healing. But this is not the whole story. You know, th we have even greater, need, greater news that follows. But we don't want to get too far ahead. We want to save, save the, that good news for next week. So, um, yeah, let's just finish by praying together. God, thank you so much for um, 
being a healer. Thank you so much that you long that you have entered Jerusalem, that you entered Jerusalem with a purpose. And I just ask that we would be people who worship you for the for the things that you have done. Help us be people who remember the things that you have done. Not only um, the fact that you entered Jerusalem with a purpose, but because but the things that you have done in our own life. Um, we pray all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.